Well, this evening we come to begin to consider, this is two sermons here, uh, begin to consider the fourth commandment. And uh, if you open your Bible at Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, you'll see it stated there, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. The title is this, Thinking About Time Rightly. Thinking about time rightly. When you'll see that this is the, the longest commandment, I think just uh, exceeding there, the second commandment in, in length, in respect of all the Ten Commandments that God gave. And uh, the listing there of uh, all the prohibitions, all the female servants, male servants, and cattle and strangers who are within your gates, that they are to rest on what we now call the Lord's Day, or the Sabbath Day, the Lord's Day, and a commandment that occasions a lot of controversy, a lot of controversy, not only in our day. Yes, it does today generate controversy, but it certainly generated controversy in our Lord's Day, the Lord's Day and our Lord's Day when he was on earth. Why, how many discussions and debates, how many arguments people wanted to pick with the Lord and his disciples concerning what they did on the Sabbath day. What's here in Old Covenant language was the seventh day. Well, today, just to be very brief in this, some people dispense with it altogether. I think, well, every day is the Lord's day. That's true, it is. And yet, we don't believe that uh, any more than seven days in a week has been dispensed with, that therefore somehow this commandment just drops out of use, and that we kind of don't need a day to remember the Lord. We can do that, can't we, without the help of a special day. Well, that goes too far that direction, but you can go too far in the other direction, and resting and doing no work, keeping the day holy, generates basically the new Phariseeism. And uh, we'll be coming perhaps more next week than this to what the Pharisees had done with this day and uh, all the pressures and stress that that generated, the rules that surrounded it. And the Lord had no time for that. And that was one of the big arguments they had with him, one of the big reasons that they uh, fought against him was that he did not support their observance of the Sabbath day. And so we can see there was Phariseeism then, and Phariseeism can ride again under new guise with fresh impositions and rules and regulations governing the Lord's day. We can get this day severely wrong, badly, badly wrong. And it can actually say something about our relationship with God. There's something there, if you like, one way or the other, is badly badly wrong, that there's something missing. And if we bring into the day wrong expectations, evaluations, essentially about who God is, what he is like, how he would have us to observe this day, 
then the day can actually be lost. We can lose the Sabbath day. We can have nothing resembling rest. And I would believe nothing resembling what actually the Lord would have us to have on this day, to enjoy on this day, if I can put it in that way. Because I read it here as such in Exodus 20 and reading through that commandment, that it is a holy day, the Sabbath day. He hallowed it, Exodus 20, verse 11, set it apart, differentiated it, said that this day is different to every other day. And that stemmed from creation. Six days, the Lord worked, his works of creation. And then on the seventh day, that he rested from that work. And he set that day apart by way of his own example and said, then that is how you are to think of your week. That's why thinking about time rightly is the heading. It's helping us actually to think about time rightly and what we do with that time, how we spend time. And I'll argue not only on the Sabbath day, but actually for the rest of the week. It sets a structure and it sets a framework. And it is stemming from and trying to safeguard, just as the second commandment is, and how we think of God and worship him, that our imaginations don't run riot, and we make things that are inappropriate or try to depict God. So there are prohibitions there. And then we saw last time about how we speak about God. No warnings to us there, not to use his name lightly. And here, Again, it's the first commandment that we are safeguarding. It is that we should have no other gods before God. Nothing. No idols. And that's the second commandment. That's why. Because other gods are idols and you can't have them. The first commandment sets the tone really for all the commandments that there are there. You have no other God. And here by having a Sabbath day, we are able the better then to keep the first commandment. The better to ensure that there are no other gods, no other gods that we are making and fashioning and that we are busy using time wrongly making those idols. It's a day to destroy idols, day to ensure all the better that we are honoring God as per the first commandment. Having a framework preserves that. We remember the Sabbath day because in a sense, that's helping us to remember all the other commandments. And that's going to help us then if we spend our Sabbath days rightly for the rest of the week. And we're going to go on into the week. And notice that's how it now is. The Sabbath day has changed from the seventh day to the first day. And that is the organizing principle is built around our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath. And as he rose on this day, Sunday, the first day of the, the week in the Jewish calendar, and as the day of Pentecost was the first day of the week. And so in honor of him, his day has now become the first day, not the seventh day. So whatever we gain on this day, we take into the week rather than finish the week and are reflecting back. Sure, we can reflect on the week that has been, but in a way it's focusing our thoughts there on the week that is to come, and helping us go into that week, the better helped to keep the first commandment on Monday, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and every other day 
of the week. It differentiates itself this day in order that the rest of the week may fall into place and we be found not idolaters in that week when we are about our work or whatever occupations we have in retirement. It can be as busy as work, work, inverted commas, whatever our occupations, whatever our duties and our responsibilities. We travel with what we have gained in the first day, the Sabbath day, the Lord's day, and that should If the day has been spent rightly, if this day is spent rightly, we are better placed to get the rest of the week right and use time rightly there. So it is a gift. He has given it to us. This is something that the Lord brought into our daily pattern, our weekly pattern. Here in the whole cycle of time, Well, we're to think of it not as some kind of amorphous mass of time, all kind of a mess of time, but a structured time, differentiated time. And his day is the framework, the structure that gives us a structure to everything else. If we use it rightly, notice I keep qualifying that. We use it rightly because as already mentioned, When the Lord came to his own, his own who did not receive him, one of the big reasons they did not receive him was that he did not uphold their view of what was the right use of the Sabbath day. In fact, in many ways, he drove a coach and horses through it. They didn't thank him for that. And so we are warned, there is failure. It is easy to fall into a failure to keep his day, a failure to rest, a failure to take the benefit of that day, the gift of God, into the rest of our week. Developing that, my first heading. Organising our time, organising our souls. Ah, Yes, this is an indication to us that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That we're not made just simply to work, that we might then eat And that that is all that there is to us, just pure materialism boiled down to its essentials. And that you and I have a soul. And it's important that that soul is nourished because that, you know, we use our bodies to glorify God, but we would not do any of that, having a clue how to do that, were it not for the fact that you and I are living spirits. We have a soul and that soul is designed to know God, to worship and adore him. And so here we see the danger actually of work becoming our God, displacing God. That's what we do for the six days. There's no prohibition against work. We are bid work, but the work can become our God. You see there the first commandment under threat just by the innocent fact of our work. And we're designed to work. Adam and Eve, before the fall, had work to do. We all have work to do in whatever kind it is, whether paid employment or at home, doing work there. And there's always work to do at home, isn't there, just? So there is work which can become a god, can become an idol. And therefore, we have this fourth commandment again, safeguarding the first commandment, because the rest of the six days of the week could quite easily undermine, destroy the first commandment. So here is a day to curb 
idolatry, to curb excessive making of money and ensure instead special thought is given to the needs of our soul, to cultivate our relationship with God, to have it as a day of worship, to have worship services in which I trust some of what is preached is of some help to the soul, encourage us, stimulate, warn, whatever may be the necessary exercise, but for the good of the soul. The Bible that we read, the hymns, well, which we sing in normal times, the way in which in our fellowship we hopefully encourage each other, serve the Lord. The things that we do when we gather here, communion that we observe together, that this is our act of worship. Now, all of life is an act of worship. That's always told me. It's very true. We are to present all that we do as a living sacrifice to God. And yet, there is something that you can't quite do. I would advise not doing too much of this when you're driving, for instance. Um, try reading the Bible, perhaps, or maybe even praying, dare I suggest, or, you know, doing some precision work requiring all your concentration. And at that moment, think, now, can I recite Leviticus chapter 10 or something like that? No, you're best concentrating on the road or concentrating on your job that you don't saw through your finger or do something like that, or cooking goes up in flames or some other uh, intricate bit of work that needed your attention. It uh, doesn't get the attention that it needed, ends in disaster. Yes, our work we make, an act of worship, yes. But we can't think of God. Indeed, we shouldn't think of God uh, when we're there in an explicit and an intense way. So recognizing that we are finite, recognizing that we cannot multitask in a way that would make all of that happen, we have this day for special acts of worship. Acts of worship that we may do on other days, but we safeguard and ensure that we do do it because we do it on his day. We do it twice. We have the morning service. We have the evening service that there our souls may gaze and adore and praise the God of heaven. Praise my soul, the King of heaven. So we have communion, which of course itself is an act of remembrance. Do this in remembrance of me. Do it in memory of me. Reminding yourself of me. And so this day is there specially given to us to remind ourselves of him. And we need it because we can easily forget that the general work, the demands upon us, indeed in retirement, the demands that there are, the day gets filled very, very quickly. There's not appointments and uh, Visiting the home, there are sundry things to keep us very, very busy as retired people. And so we have this day that we might remember him. And we neglect it at our peril because we neglect our souls. We organize our time, have this day, and in a way that is a discipline for our soul, organizing our soul's best interests and welfare. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, where it speaks to us there of how the Lord brought his people. Verse 6 and verse 7, prefacing the Ten Commandments is given there. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, 
Out of the house of bondage, then you shall have no other gods before me. Yes, out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Well, we haven't literally come from Egypt, if we're believers. We haven't literally been slaves of Pharaoh, but we were slaves of sin. We were in that bondage. We were captives to that. And here, as we reflect on his day and there in his commandments, we think about deliverance. We think about his mighty hand. We think about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we think on him on this day. Well, we should think about him all week. That's true. But yes, uh, don't try and recite again all the New Testament if you're standing in the class trying to teach children or try to run after some of them if they're running away down the, uh, down the driveway there towards the main road. Uh, you've got to get your eye on the job and run pretty quick if you can to catch up with them. So this is the day that we can bring our attention and our focus to bear upon him. So we read Second Thessalonians chapter 2, and let me just read all that portion of it. Verses 16 and 17. Here is something to happen on this day that Paul's prayer and petition for the people. Well, this is the day of all days for it to be answered. What does it say? Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Ah, that's the worthwhile use of the day, that we may know the love of God and the everlasting consolation, that our hope in him of eternity of heaven may be built up on this day that his grace given to impart that truth to bring what? Well, comfort to our hearts. That's worth having and it's worth keeping. You can take that into the week. You're in a very strong place. Oh, yes, it says that, that the good words and good works that we do, not just on a Sunday, but every day, can be established. And here's the day for it. Preaching, reading scripture, the hymns that remind us of these things and cement those thoughts with us. So it can, it can bring that to pass. Or Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And this day is specially given that the soul may grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour. Not that, like the manner almost, that it's melted away by the end of the day. No, rather, the day is being kept well if we're taking it into the week. And the benefit of that consolation assurance of his love, that good hope by grace, and then being established in every good word and work, well, that's taken into the week. And that'll make the week better. That'll take the blessings of God given on his day and make them the blessings for the week that follows. So it is a Sabbath day organized basically now around the Lord Jesus Christ, the centerpiece of it, and that we remember him. That other gods fade away, idols, and work can be that idol, is kept in its place and its tendency to try and creep up on us is held there in check. So the discipline is there to remember him, creator, lawgiver, judge, saviour, deliverer, all the things that John Newton wrote in his hymn there. Way my life, my end, my prophet, priest and king, all of that and more than that. And this is a day to have it. Not that, of course, we believe that this is the only day that you can have an act of worship, a public act of worship. Horror of horrors in the hearing of some. But we have Christmas Day services. 
Good Friday services. And why not? For acts of worship, public acts of worship. Well, I can well believe you can't have enough of them in that sense. You have the Sabbath day to guarantee that you, you've, you're keeping something of that focus there. But that isn't to say, and therefore you can't have any other days of particular gathering and meeting and being before God to hear preaching of his word. Well, otherwise perhaps midweek meetings would have to say as well are, are out on that. So this, the Lord's day is not the only day in which you think about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it doesn't sound weird to have to actually explain it in that way. And that there are other days, we're not bound by them. We're not in bondage to them. As though we, if we didn't have a Christmas Day service, the whole spiritual life of the nation would collapse. No, no, we don't believe that. But we do believe there is benefit and virtue and meeting on that day and likewise Good Friday. And that people actually might themselves in the world think to come on those days. And, well, we quite like being reminded of our Lord Jesus Christ, his birth and his resurrection, his death and all these things. So anyway, my next heading, do no work. Do no work. Ah, yes, safeguard the day. Let it be for the glory of God. Keep it holy. Keep it distinct, differentiated. Remove work from it. Capacity for it to become an idol was an issue obviously pre-fall that Adam and Eve were given then the seventh day patterned there on God resting from his works of creation and therefore for them to reflect not that they're in a fallen state then but reflect on on God because remember they were given work to do there's work there's work to do there may not have been thorns and thistles at that point but it required their attention Some of you know more about gardens than I do, but it requires your attention, even before it was fallen. And so they had work to do. Now, we learn from Genesis 3, verse 8, when the Lord, after the fall, came looking for them, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, we well believe that he had fellowship with Adam and Eve through the week. But that was not enough. That was insufficient and still needed, even before the fall, a special day for special contemplation of God, fellowship with him for the needs of the souls of Adam and Eve. But if that was needed pre-fall, how much the more after the fall? Because now, well, what is work? Well, it produces thorns and thistles. And to the man particularly, it's by the sweat of your brow that you're going to there receive your bread. It's going to be a problem now. Work is going to cast up difficulty hardships. Things are going to go wrong. There are always going to be problems. You know, the thought that so when you try to go away on holiday, you know, sort everything out, leave everything sorted out. Well, what hope of that? Now, often holidays get broken into because something's gone wrong somewhere that needs attention or needs fixing. And uh, all of that travels with us. How often there are problems that need a solution one kind or another, because that is now the nature of work after the fall. And if before the fall, still in order to preserve and safeguard the day, they could fellowship with God so that work didn't just take over. And work became to them perhaps a subtle snare, some temptation that there was within that. There is always more to do. And even in a, a pre-fall garden, there was always more to do. 
And while perhaps they were better equipped to sort of park it up on Lord's Day and then return to it fresh for us in a post-fallen situation and where work can intrude and we're thinking not of, ah, there's something good we can go to. We're thinking of Monday morning, there's something bad we're going to. Been a problem. We left it behind on Friday, Saturday, or even worse, of course, it cropped up on Sunday. We got some worried phone call that something's gone wrong in the office or some crisis somewhere or somewhere the other side of the world. Something's happened that's going to influence Monday morning, first thing. There's a problem immediately needs solution. Ah, yes, that is what happens. Problems at work with colleagues, work stresses and strains. They travel with us. They're there with us on a Sunday, aren't they? Because it's not just not doing the work. The work's still here in our head. And we, we're already preparing. Well, how am I going to answer that when I go back to work Monday? And how am I going to sort out that difficult client there or that work relationship, that colleague? We left it in bad shape Friday evening, last thing. And I'm going back to that Monday. And there it is. And it's with us. And that's all part of the conflict and difficulty that the fall has bequeathed to us. Urgent matters. Then, as I say, some that come crashing in on the Lord's Day. And sometimes they're things that you can't leave till the Monday. Ah, the office just rung in. Somebody went in. It's being flooded. There's a broken water main. Well, it can sound very spiritual. So, well, I'll leave it till Monday. Well, I'll leave it till Monday. And you'll find the ducks probably are floating around happily there in your office. And uh, you've got a big, big problem to sort out. And so all of this in a fallen world breaks into our Lord's Day, and it needs attention. And in a world where so much work now is 24-7, and events are happening, and information, we love now the fact that there's constant flow of information. So you can't live in beautiful ignorance no longer, because there is, there's the social media telling you this, there's your email telling you that, there is the phone call from the other side of the world, no longer on some creaking kind of phone that May get through, may, no, no, it's there in an instant on your mobile. And you can't get away from it all. It's not ever all of it done. And it comes into the Lord's day. And we can otherwise just spend all of our time working, sorting out problems. And that's not because we're eager for the money. We've just now but caught up in the whole responsibility of it, the duties we have and taking them seriously and, and therefore never away from work, never away from our position. I emailed somebody yesterday about, um, well, we hope they're going to come. Caroline's a bit incapacitated and that and do a bit of cleaning for us at home for the next couple of months. And I emailed uh, her yesterday, the person who sorts out indeed the work here. And I, I put, well, I, I hope you're picking this email up on a Monday and that I haven't sort of broken into you at your weekend. I hope you're actually not at work, if you will, and uh, sort us out on, on Monday morning. But very often that is not the case. But we try and keep it fenced back as far as we can. We try to discipline our thinking. Now, that's Monday thinking. Let's leave that there. Not that, however, all of our Lord's Day is necessarily to be kept absolutely kind of air-sealed away from work. Because things that we hear or read on the Lord's Day, suddenly, light bulb moment, that helps sort out a problem at work. That's a new way of thinking about that. Ah, I can handle that bit of conflict there. A tool has come to hand, something in Proverbs or whatever else. Something's come to hand at a light bulb moment, and it's actually going to help us 
in our work. That's a good use of the Lord's day. That's not that work has become a God or that uh, we've just spent the whole day consumed with worry about it, but something fed in. Because it's true, isn't it? Even when we're not thinking about work, oh, it's somewhere in the background, uh, background systems in the mind are kind of doing their own bit of problem solving there, even without us realizing it. And lo and behold, some truth, some help. We said that can be applied. That's come in. That, that gives me some relief. And I can see how I can use the word of God in a situation there. So we encourage, well, we encourage our children. We encourage them to think of this day differently. And we encourage them to be followers of the Ten Commandments. But this, remember, also has aspects of law about it. And we remember our Lord's words, and particularly when we've got non-Christian children or children that are still young in the faith. And that our Lord did say that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And that our children, the Sabbath is given for their benefit, not to hurt them, harm them, or cripple them. It can be a yoke that they cannot bear. And remember, there is grace, isn't there? Sabbath breaking. Well, there is grace. We have a perfect Sabbath keeper. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. We lean on him. And when there are times when work's intruded, or there are things we have to make a concession to our non-Christian children, because you can provoke them, and they can actually become more distant from God because of an overzealous keeping of the Sabbath. And so we note that there are places where we rely on the grace of God as we try to encourage our children, other members of our family, to observe this day. But moving on, and the clock's a bit against us, the big question is, of course, what is work? What is work? What is it that we're trying to keep out of the Sabbath day? Yes, we accept sometimes it's going to come in, needs to come in. And we are helped by thoughts and things in sermons or whatever else to take that into our working week. It's been helpful. What is that thing called work? What is it that we are not to do? Well, that was a big question, wasn't it? And it was a big question in our Lord's day. And the question had well, an attempt and an answer have been made by the Pharisees, very famously. In a way, the, well, we know from the Sermon on the Mount, they got it so badly wrong. They got the Ten Commandments tragically wrong. And maybe they thought that things like the Sixth Commandment, we're doing absolutely fine with it. We're not murdering anybody. And it was our Lord having to show them that actually anger towards people, calling people angrily a fool. Well, that's murder. That's that hatred that gives rise to murder. I hadn't thought of that before until the Sermon on the Mount. Or that adultery. Well, they hadn't committed adultery. No, but the Lord said, but you have in your head. You've done it a fair few times in your mind. And that's the same thing, really. And that was also a surprise to them. Not that in the Sermon on the Mount, he took up the fourth commandment there. But he took it up a fair few times afterwards in his teaching in the synagogues on the Sabbath day and when he healed people on the Sabbath day. That, of course, was hugely controversial because the Pharisees, even though they thought well, we've got the other commandments covered, we're covered on all of those. We don't steal, we don't murder anybody there and we honour our parents. What's there not to like about what we do? Ah, their attention fastened upon this matter of the Sabbath day, right, we've got to remember that, we've got to keep that special. 
work. So they made work into a carefully defined thing, measurable. Well, you could lift that, but you couldn't lift that. You can walk that distance, but no more than that distance. And here became all the rules, but then became the enforced rule of holiness. This is what you do on the Sabbath day. And if you don't do it, frowns follow. Disapproval follows. And of course, the Lord had no time for those rules, traditions of men, commandments of men, teaching them as though they're the commandments of God. And we read of numerous instances where he did what they called work on the Sabbath day. And healing people was was work by that definition that they had. It was their sort of measurable rule. And people love rules. They wanted to rule. They know I'm doing the right thing. There's a rule. The Lord was showing it's more complex than that. He showed their rules up for what they were. Makes a point at one time about if your donkey falls down a well, do you not haul it out? Does that not work by your definition? Yet who would leave your donkey down the well and say, well, I'll deal with it the next day? You could be dead. And that would be a precious, precious asset you've lost. No, of course you'll haul it out. Or any other emergency situation, you will deal with it. And so under cover of of, of appearing to make this water tight, have it so carefully defined what work is, rules and regulations, and how minute detail they went into. They actually had totally and utterly missed the point. And so we are to turn indeed from all work that perhaps can wait till Monday, as far as we can. And then again, there are things we have to attend to perhaps towards that Monday and we were talking about um, if there's some situation with a staff collie. It may actually be better to give that person a ring on the Sunday, much like when you've got a gift, you bring it to the altar, and they remember your brother has something against you. First go away, be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift on the altar. And there may be a, an email, a phone call, a situation which left another day, would fester, wouldn't be so good, so retrievable. Then do it on the Lord's Day, good use of the day. So we turn from work, as we mentioned before, we try and turn from the work that's still there in our heads. And of course, we recognize the obvious in our culture, particularly, that work can't stop for a lot of people on the Lord's Day. It would be very sad if every doctor, every firefighter, every policeman, law enforcement officer um, stayed away because it was the Lord's Day. It might sound very holy. But there'll be a lot of injured people, there'll be a lot of crime taking place on a Sunday. There'll be all kinds of chaos and things. Many activities are needed to take place on the Lord's Day. Crises do not kind of steer away from a Sunday. Accidents don't not happen on a Sunday. Illnesses don't suddenly strike us every other day of the week, but not on a Sunday. No, they come thick and fast any day of the week and there need to be and we're glad of them people who are working on that day who are able to help us but finally just a few thoughts and we'll pick up some more detail i trust next week the sabbath day is an act of faith it's an act of faith finally got to our first reading exodus 16 that we had don't gather the manna on the sabbath day because there won't be any there Instead, gather twice as much the day before, like an act of faith. And even though every other day of the week, the extra that you gathered will have gone off and worms are there and it smells awful, 
it won't on this day. It will hold good for the Sabbath day. And it did. And it was an act of faith. And it's also, of course, an act of obedience. And it's built in faith in God's promise to give us our daily bread, to look after us, to enable us in the week to get what we need and the money that we need, whatever else we need, in order to carry us through this day when perhaps we're not earning money or we're not at our place of uh, of duty, that we're absent from it. It's an act of faith. And so the people found, look, although there's no manna on the Sabbath day, what you collected the day before will provide for you. You won't go hungry. You won't miss out. That if you're not working on the Sabbath day and you've made some conscious choice and that you won't miss out, the students there perhaps putting down their books for the day and resting up on that, that God can bless the other days of the week all the more. And we know, don't we, of uh, certain firms, certain businesses that have Christians or Christian ethos, and they decide, no, we're not opening on the Sunday. We'll honour God. Our staff need the time off anyway and they can be with their families if they're not Christians and have a proper rest. And they don't seem to suffer too badly. And their finances and some companies do very, very well. And we might believe, yes, because God has blessed their act of faith and obedience. And so we hold that very much there to us. We keep that before us. It's an act of faith. The Lord can, if we cultivate our soul, make good things to happen the other six days of the week. So may it be that actually our Lord's Day become more Lord's Day, that our Lord is more at the heart of it, that our Sabbaths get holier, our holy days become holier days because they're actually being better spent. They're actually fulfilling the purpose that God intended. It wasn't to just bind us up with rules. It wasn't to make us so tiptoeing around that we break some rule here or break some rule there, but instead drawing all the good that there is of this day that we might use our time for the rest of the week, the better for how we spent our time on the Lord's Day. I'll finish there.